buds! You're listening to Green and Gold, and I'm your host, Haley Fox. I apologize in advance for my extra nasally voice today. I've been sick for basically ever, and it seems like I will sound like Steve Urkel indefinitely, so I'm very sorry. Or you're welcome if you were into family matters like myself. Anyways, this week we're tackling just one aspect of the many criminal justice issues related to cannabis. We're talking about expungement. Okay, so most of you know that Proposition 64 was the initiative passed by California voters that legalized the sale of recreational cannabis across the state. What you may not know is that this proposition was about a lot more than making it easier for you to walk in a shop and buy weed. Included in Prop 64 is a directive that allows people who've been convicted of a cannabis-related crime, so cannabis possession, even distribution, to get this charge reduced or completely expunged. For instance, if the crime was a felony, they're eligible to get it reduced to a misdemeanor. And if it was already a misdemeanor, it can be removed from their record entirely. Even if someone is no longer actually serving time for their cannabis-related crime, the charge follows them around and clouds every part of their daily life. A drug conviction can make it hard to land and keep a well-paying job, access needed public programs, or even secure housing. So while the intentions of Prop 64 were good and could have wide-reaching impact, there's been quite a few dramatic limitations on its rollout. For one, this criminal justice aspect of the initiative is complicated, and many people still haven't realized, more than a year after it took effect, that they could qualify for this expungement process. Also, the process isn't automatic. If you've been convicted of a crime, you need to take the initiative and follow through on getting your record changed, which can be really expensive and confusing and, frankly, time-sucking. So if you're working you know, any type of nine to five-ish job or more, it can be really difficult to find the time to do all these things. So some local jurisdictions in California, San Francisco for one, have rolled out their own programs to automatically do this process for people. Last year, the San Francisco DA said that they'll dismiss more than 3,000 weed convictions dating back to 1975 and that they'd review thousands more that might be eligible for reduction. That in September of last year, the state of California approved a bill that would put the impetus on the state's Department of Justice to review cannabis cases and forward those they deemed eligible to the DA's office. So this basically means the uh, burden will be off the person and onto the state. In the meantime, law and social justice nonprofits have kind of taken it on themselves to organize free expungement clinics to help those eligible help themselves. That's where Rodney Holcomb comes in. Rodney is a staff attorney with the Drug Policy Alliance, a coalition that advocates for decriminalization of marijuana and overall just legal policies. Rodney's helped oversee the DPA's efforts to reduce and clear people's records in accordance with Prop 64. So let's talk to him. In the years even leading up to Prop 64, uh, marijuana criminalization, uh, it led to the arrest, conviction, and incarceration of hundreds of thousands of people here in the state of California and uh, millions across the country. Uh, prior to Prop 64's passage, um, several non-legal activities uh, would have resulted in a felony or misdemeanor conviction. But after Prop 64 passed uh, back in 2016, um, a lot of these 
convictions were either eligible to be completely removed from a person's record or to be reduced felony to misdemeanor or misdemeanor to infraction. I said, what was so great about Prop 64 and what made it, I think, pretty novel uh, is that it was the first marijuana initiative to include provisions that allowed a person to actually petition to have their record changed uh, to reflect the new penalties or legality of marijuana activity. California was the first state to actually include provisions to allow people to petition for these record changes. Uh, So it um, was really transformative. So now that you provided kind of a little bit of that context, could you talk a little bit about, I know you've been obviously intricately involved with the DPA's role in all this and helping people take advantage of these provisions. So can you talk a little bit about what you've been working on over the last year or so and kind of what some of the biggest hurdles have been for you? So even prior to Prop 64's passage, uh, the Drug Policy Alliance has been pretty involved in hosting legal clinics. Uh, even back as far as Prop 47. And so with Prop 47, there were provisions that allowed folks to petition to have their records uh, reduced from felony to misdemeanor. And one of the conviction types that changed was possession of any drug type in California. Uh, So folks who had possession for any substance could uh, get those reduced from felony to misdemeanor. And so there was a legal process involved there. So DPA has been involved since 2014 uh, with hosting legal clinics. Uh, but after Prop 64 passed, you know, you obviously have this new crop of folks who have other conviction types uh, that can now either be completely removed from their record or that can be reduced from felony to misdemeanor or misdemeanor to infraction. So as an organization here in California, uh, we dedicated resources and personnel to hosting clinics across the state from northern to southern California. I was pretty heavily involved in that process, and we served in the past couple of years, I mean, probably nearly a thousand folks. Part of the problem is that, you know, even in all those efforts and the efforts of other organizations doing similar work, uh, we can't quite reach everyone in the state who's eligible for relief. Uh, So what we know is that about 220,000 people have a conviction that can be changed in some way or another by Prop 64. But when we look to data from back in March of 2018, Only about 9,000 folks had applied for relief, and we don't really even know what the outcomes in those cases were. Now, reporting that data is voluntary, so it's likely that the number was higher, but the reality is that we were looking at fewer than 10% of people who had applied for relief since Prop 64 passed. So we knew it was important to try and identify other ways to assist folks. So we were able to get AB 1793 uh, signed into law, and this took the burden of petitioning the courts off the shoulders of individuals with convictions uh, and instead placed that on the state. Uh, so now folks aren't having to navigate this complex, uh, time-consuming, and costly process on their own, uh, and instead the state will initiate it. Uh, so this is a tremendous step forward. It's the first time that a state has taken on automation. Uh, So this is certainly something we're wanting to look at very closely because, you know, we want to obviously replicate this uh, for other remedies that are available to folks under state law, uh, both here in California and elsewhere. Uh, So that was definitely a move in the right direction. Uh, But, of course, in that, there is still other work that needs to be done. 
And so, so basically, I mean, what the what one of the biggest hurdles was to carrying out this provision of Prop sixty four was that, um, as I understand it, at least people a lot of times people didn't even know that they were eligible, and if they did, um, like you said, they'd have to either pay for a lawyer to carry out the process or navigate the like very bureaucratic system on their own. I mean, now, at least under California's new bill that was um, signed into law by the by Governor Brown last year, a lot of that will kind of be taken on by the state. So has that taken effect yet this year? Like, is that something that's happening right now? Or is there still I was unsure if there was still anything final that had to happen to make this initiative into law? So the process has certainly begun. Um, the Department of Justice has until July 1st of this year to uh, identify people with eligible convictions. And we know mm-hmm. that there are about 220,000 people with eligible convictions here in California and notify the district attorney in the counties where those convictions originated. Um, and from there, the district attorney will have an opportunity to determine whether that person is eligible for relief and it should be granted or if that relief should be challenged. Uh, So this is a process that is beginning and one that we'll have to very closely assess because, again, as I stated, uh, this hasn't been done before and it's um, so close to the outset. Um, So we really Mm -hmm. have to look closely to ensure that, you know, obviously things run smoothly and that folks are getting uh, the access to relief that they deserve. Could you explain a little bit why these kind of cannabis convictions, even low-level ones, can be so detrimental um, to someone's life? You know, they obviously follow them around well past incarceration. So could you talk a little bit about, you know, why on the daily basis for a lot of these people this um, is such a big deal? Sure. So uh, what comes attached to a conviction of any type are what we call collateral consequences. And these are the legal and social consequences uh, that could quite frankly, burden a person for the rest of their life. In California, there are about 4,800 of these consequences, and they can range from employment to um, ability to obtain occupational licenses, to educational loans, to public housing and uh, public benefits. So a conviction alone could just really prevent a person from living a productive um, life, and it could inhibit their ability to take care of themselves and their families. So by having these convictions reduced from felony to misdemeanor or by having these convictions completely removed from a person's record, uh, they're able to really get a new lease in a lot of ways. They're able to access uh, new employment opportunities. They're able to get public housing. They're able to really reclaim the lives that they lost as a result of the conviction that uh, resulted from, quite frankly, a failed drug war. And I was wondering if you could give us um, an example or two, you know, any stories you've heard. Obviously, we don't need names or identifying information, but um, maybe a specific story or two about people who've really, you know, benefited or seen a change from this uh, provision. Sure. At a number of the events that we've hosted across the state, we've come into contact with people who have uh, these convictions uh, for marijuana who haven't been able to get employment and who are coming to us and telling us that they aren't able to feed their children or they're not going to be able to pay their rent or they need to go back to school and they need assistance with obtaining loans. So we certainly saw this come up time and again. We knew a number of folks who had low paying jobs and had the skills or had the degree even to obtain uh, a more highly paid position. So, I mean, this is something we saw time and again. And I think one of the most interesting of the stories that I had heard or that one of the most interesting people I came across was actually a woman who for decades now has not voted. 
because she was under the impression that having that conviction, a marijuana conviction, would permanently prevent her from voting. And this is a conversation I actually had over the phone with her, uh, head of one of our legal clinics. You know, a person in California is actually eligible to vote if they are not in a Department of Corrections prison or if they're not on parole. But unfortunately, information about voting or voter registration uh, just isn't readily available. So um, it was a really interesting conversation. Uh, she actually went and registered to vote and voted in last year's election, which was incredible. Um, and, you know, the reality is that there's so many other folks who don't even realize that that is a possibility for them. You know, having access to this relief and other forms of relief is absolutely necessary if we want everyone to live uh, the life they deserve to live. I actually got to go to one of your uh, one of the DP's expungement clinics last year and talk to people there as well. But um, what struck me was that not only are people now realizing and taking advantage of the opportunity to have cannabis convictions uh, reduced or expunged, but a lot of people there realized that other previous propositions in California also covered them and they were actually eligible for, you know, possible other criminal reductions um, because of other propositions. And I'm wondering kind of how much you do see that and why that's also kind of an important part of this whole process. Yeah, sure. So the reality is that a lot of folks who have cannabis convictions may also have another conviction um, for which there is some remedy under state law to have that conviction changed. Uh, so, you know, that's we're talking thousands of people with other conviction types. Um, but unfortunately, those processes aren't automated. So even if a person now after AB 1793 was signed into law, will have their marijuana conviction taken care of, there are still other convictions for which they can get some sort of relief. Uh, so it's important that, you know, as automation goes into effect and as these conversations may be calmed down, uh, we continue to push the envelope further and think about ways to automate other processes uh, so that people with other conviction types um, are no longer burdened with the collateral consequences that come with those convictions. So I guess just to provide a little context or an example, really, if a person has a marijuana conviction, say for cultivating six or fewer plants, but they also have some non-marijuana related convictions, they could have that conviction for marijuana possession or cultivating six or fewer plants completely removed from their, from their record, uh, but they still have these other convictions and they're still subject to collateral consequences. And I mean, quite frankly, we're back to where we started before AB 1793 was assigned into law. So they're still having to either pay an attorney uh, to go through this process or find free legal resources, which I mean, is not the easiest thing to do, particularly for folks who don't live in more metropolitan areas. So, you know, conversations around automating other processes um, is something that needs to continue. And it seems like that conversation is increasingly happening, not only in California, but across the country. And I'm curious, you know, when Prop 64 first passed, most of the attention, I would say, was focused on the fact that, you know, people can now buy weed at a shop um, when you don't need a recommendation. And obviously, this component of the proposition has always been there. Do you think that moving forward, you know, now that we have at least the first year under our belt, will this begin to get a little more focus? Or how do you think, you know, that that kind of excitement over the uh, purchasing aspect of the bill kind of affected people's awareness of the criminal justice portions of it? Sure. So, I mean, 
as with most legalization initiatives or bills, the conversation is generally just about people's ability to now purchase uh, cannabis products, uh, but less attention is paid to provisions that allow a person to do such a thing as change their record or maybe even some of the environmental protections that are included uh, in these initiatives or bills. So, you know, I think it's just really going to require a great deal of public education. Um, I'm so happy that the bill AB 1793 was signed into law so that, you know, it's no longer on the shoulders of people with convictions to petition for relief. But of course, we do need to continue to get the word out. You know, folks need to know that, you know, while that conviction may be eligible to be expunged or reduced, you may still want to take a look at your criminal record history and see if there are other convictions that are eligible for relief. Um, so, you know, this is an ongoing process, one that is going to take obviously years and years, decades even to really get right. Uh, but the conversations just need to happen. And that's, you know, the responsibility of advocates like myself. You know, our convictions or anyone's convictions shouldn't follow them for the rest of their life. If you're told to serve a sentence, you should serve that sentence, and that should be the end of it. Mm-hmm. I know that you guys have worked with occasionally dispensaries or companies within the cannabis industry, um, but I'm surprised that I haven't seen kind of more of this, not on your guys' behalf, but more on the industry side. And I'm curious kind of what your thoughts are on um, the actual cannabis industry's role in ensuring that, you know, this part of Prop 64 is lived up to just like the rest of the proposition is. Uh, For sure. So, I mean, it's certainly... um worth noting that it would be a true shame if the industry, you know, was built and thrived without first acknowledging and without doing something to mitigate the harm that's been wrought by the drug war. You know, it's it's almost like a responsibility that needs to be addressed. We need to ensure that these dispensaries, that these companies are actively pursuing opportunities to help uh, people who have been most impacted by the drug war so that, you know, everyone is benefiting in some way or another by Prop 64's passage and not just folks who have money to engage in the industry. Uh, so that's certainly something that needs to happen. I know uh, a number of localities across the state have created equity programs, uh, but in addition to that, um, it's important that companies uh, consider hiring uh, people who have been most impacted by the drug war or just generational poverty um, generally. So, you know, these are things that have to be considered. And I know different jurisdictions are thinking of different ways to address this. And you do have a lot of dispensaries and cannabis businesses that are actively pursuing opportunities uh, to engage in this uh, space beyond just profiting. They want to ensure that folks are being helped um, now that legalization has taken effect. You know, there's certainly a lot of things to think about and a lot of moving pieces. So we'll have to certainly keep our eye to the ground and continue to just, quite frankly, get the word out. And, you know, you mentioned the local social equity programs. um, And at the beginning, we talked a little bit about kind of the historical context and need for all this. But can you also talk about, you know, why is this process, um, expungement and reduction of charges, so important to the larger goals of legalization and kind of the larger parameters of what will determine whether it's successful or not in California? You know, we certainly want to create opportunities for folks to enter the industry if they want to. So people who have been harmed, who have lived in neighborhoods that have been uh, disproportionately policed, Um, During the height of the drug war, we want to ensure that these folks have opportunities to either be employed in the industry or to become entrepreneurs in the industry. Um, But, you know, I think there's just been like really a 
big public shift around these issues a bit. I think around 2016, when California legalized, we were really beginning to think about ways to mitigate uh, the harm that's been wrought by the drug war. We saw that you know, so many people in California and across the nation have been adversely impacted by prohibition. They've been arrested. They've been convicted. They've uh, been incarcerated for years for activity that's now legal or less severely punished. So, you know, while it's important that we focus on ensuring that there is a thriving industry to, you know, of course, reduce public uh, health and public safety concerns, uh, we have to ensure that folks who have these prior convictions have an opportunity to, you know, lead a life that they deserve to lead. They should have an opportunity to change uh, their record so that they have access to better opportunities and better lives. That was Rodney Holcomb of the Drug Policy Alliance. And this is Green and Gold. Please subscribe to us on iTunes, give us a rating, write a review. We love your feedback and any new subscriber is a huge help to us. You can also hit me up on social media with questions or what you want to hear about on the show. I'm on Twitter at EPFox and Instagram at Penny underscore Gadget. As a reminder, we are just one of the many awesome podcasts put out by Table Cakes Productions, a LA-based and women-owned company. You can support us and them by going to patreon.com backslash Table Cakes. All right. Thanks for listening. Until next week, buds. Bye.